0: How about now? Yay! How's everybody this morning? Is it hot in here or is it just me? It's hot, hot. all right, because it's only like 67 degrees in here and you're like, it's hot in here. Do you know what happens? Every single one of you is a heater. Did you know that? So when you start singing, it's like heat, heat, heat. We just push it out there. All right, what are we doing today? I don't have my remote. Uh, I don't have my remote. Isaac, do you know where my remote is for the TV? You don't know where it's at? Oh, you know what? Uh, earlier, I was walking around out there, um, and it was in my pocket. Can everybody look real quick? Because I kind of needed to do my sermon. Uh, can you guys look under your seats and stuff and see if you see a little silver remote? Somebody has it? Oh, you got it. Oh! Whew. How much will I pay you for it? <laughs> do you like heaven, or do you? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> whoo. Okay, I needed that. My goodness. My goodness. Oh my gosh. It's scary when you lose something, is it? Wait, my first point. When lost things <laughs> become found things, we experience joy and relief. All right, you got your fill in the blanks? Everybody got your fill in the blanks? Go ahead and get your fill in the blanks out. That's a first, we just set that up, by the way. Thank you for playing along. Um, it, Right? When lost things become found things, we experience joy and relief. I mean, I would have been up here stressing because, like, I can't preach without my TV, right? I don't know if you ever see me try. It's hard for me. Like, I need the slides. I need the notes um, because, like, like, Nikki always says when she comes up, she has a book. You know, she, she's a manuscript writer for her sermons. Me, I, I got, like, four points, and I got a bunch of notes. I don't ever look at it, and here we go, you know, and so I need this to work with. So the thing is, we're talking today. We're getting to Luke chapter 14 and 15. That's where we're at, and uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can get there to 14, 15, and we're going to see a lot of lost things in 14 and 15, right? Um, Has anybody ever lost something of real important value to you? Just show hands if you ever lost something that, like, you really needed to find that thing, right? There was one summer our family... Um, we were packing, we were getting ready, we were leaving for our vacation. And, and our vacation, we normally like go for, um, we, we go for like three weeks or at least two weeks and three Sundays. And so, um, so we were getting ready to go on vacation and we're packing, we're ready to leave and I don't have my wedding ring. And I'm like, where is my wedding ring? I don't leave the house without my wedding ring. When I go home, so I take it off because my fingers swell up and it starts to hurt. And so, but when I'm out and about, no matter what, I'm wearing my wedding ring because it's the symbol of who I belong with, right? And it's, it's a representation of my commitment to my wife. And, um, and the thing is, I looked everywhere. I looked under the fridge. I, I mean, I looked everywhere I possibly could where I thought I put it, could not find it. I had to leave to go on vacation without my wedding ring. Now, the entire time, I fell naked, right? Like, when you have that thing, you always have, and then all of a sudden, you don't have it. And some of you, that would be if you left your house without your cell phone, right? You'd be like, hey, 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 something's missing the whole time. You'd have anxiety. And and so that's the way I was feeling. And I'm like, I don't know where it is. I'm hoping we get back. I mean, unless a mouse grabbed it and crawled it into the wall, like it has to be in our house. Um, and so it was funny because um, Nikki's sister, Sandy, stayed at our house a little bit during that vacation. She was trying to use our, our printer, which is in our kitchen. She's like, so you're, just so you know, your printer's broken and it's not printing for me. I can't get anything out of it. I'm like, that's, that's weird, it was working fine. So when we get home, I'm looking for my ring again, and then I turn the printer upside down and it falls out of the printer. My ring fell down into where the paper goes. Like, whoo! You know that sense of relief of like, oh, thank goodness. Um, have you ever lost a kid? We've got parents who've ever lost kids at stores. Isn't that the scariest thing of your life right in that moment? You're like, wait, 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 where are they? Where are they? You're like, and when you do it at a store or like you're at like an amusement park or, you know, somewhere lots of crowds, your heart just sinks, right? Because the more valuable that thing is to you, the more your heart sinks when it's lost, right? And, and that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about things that are valuable, that when they're lost, it matters, Okay. That's what we're digging into in chapter uh, 14 and 15. I actually want to start in chapter 15, and then we're going to go backwards to chapter 14, okay? So if you're there, turn to chapter 15. I'm reading the first part of chapter 15, um, and and we'll hop into it, okay? Is everybody ready? If you are, say yep. Okay, we're having fun today. Just be ready. Luke 15. Um, So Jesus, again, he's doing what he's been doing this whole time. He's pushing against the religious who think they have God, but they don't. He's walking towards the sinners who are needing salvation, who who want to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but have been told their whole life they're not allowed to. And so this is the land Jesus is living in and who he's walking with and who is following him. And so again, it says this, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, right? That's who was curious about this Jesus because he's teaching something really different than the temple really different than all the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and, and all the law take makers, and all the, like, he's like, they are telling us we're not allowed to do this, we're not allowed to do that, it's just rules, and rules, and religion, and we're not allowed to be a part, and that's what they're all saying to us, but this, Jesus coming and say, no, the kingdom of heaven is here, and it's open, and Jesus is forgiving sins, they've never done that, they're like, who has the power to do that, God alone, and here Jesus is doing it, so he's creating quite a stir in this time, right, so I need you to know, if you're far from Jesus, you're in a great place to, 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 uh, to be here this morning. If you've ran away from Jesus, maybe you haven't been in church a long, long long time, I'm telling you, today's a perfect day for you, because you're going to see the heart of Jesus. You're going to see the heart of God when we do this. So that's who he's hanging with, the tax collectors and the sinners. They're two different categories. It's like tax collectors and the other sinners, right? It's like a whole different level thing, okay? Um, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, do you see the what's happening? They're like muttering under the breath. Like, do you see what Jesus is doing? See, is who's hanging around this Jesus? I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not okay with this. And so they're muttering under the breath. Jesus always takes teachable moments, and he uses them. And he's going to teach the Pharisees, and he's also going to teach the tax collectors and sinners because now he jumps into a parable. Then Jesus told them this parable this is what a parable is. If, if you see Jesus using these, Jesus was one of the best communicators on the planet. I should say was. He is. Like, because he knew exactly what was going on in people's hearts, and then he knew exactly what he needed to say or story he needed to share or how to help them understand what was going on, right? And so he used these things called parables. A parable is simply this. It's a simple fictitional story used to teach a significant spiritual lesson. That's what a parable is. And so he's going to jump into chapter 15, three different parables three different stories to get their attention on what the kingdom of heaven is like. Okay, y'all with me? All right, so here's parable number one he starts going into because he's seeing their heart. He says, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? It's like, yes, that's what a shepherd's going to do. You know what's interesting about shepherds in this day and age as he's sharing the story? I better not, like, keep going because I'm going to, like, take us on all these side tangents, and we only have so much time this morning. Um, But I'm doing this one, so deal with it. So, like, so shepherds, like, in that day, like, shepherds were not the owners of the sheep, right? The shepherds were just the ones that took care of the sheep for the rich owner. They were hired laborers for the owner. Their job was to make sure all the sheep were together, all the sheep had what they need. If they lost a sheep, it was on them meaning they would get flack from the owner who owned those sheep. And so they're like, no, we're making sure we have all the sheep. And if one strands off and I have 99 and they're in a safe place, I'm going after the one to find it. I have to. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. This is a big deal. It's not like Uh, one of those stupid sheep got away again and they just brought it back. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. I was going to be in deep trouble if I didn't find that sheep. And that sheep was going to be in deep trouble if it got lost and then it died out there like it was in trouble. And so both of us are now out of trouble and we're where we're supposed to be. That's the whole picture, right? He says, because we're both where we're supposed to be again, boom, we're going to rejoice. Come party with me, right? And then he says this, I tell you, I tell you that the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Do you hear a theme? You're going to see it again, all three of these stories. He repeats himself. It's like Jesus is like, okay, I don't think they're getting it. Let me try another one, right? So he goes to the next story, and, and let's keep reading. Are you with me? Say yep. Okay, so he says, or... Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, some of you are like, like, if I have 10 pennies, I lose a penny. It's not a big deal, right? I know there's pennies all in all of our couches. There's quarters in our couches, right? I mean, a quarter can't buy a whole lot. If you get two quarters, you can still get a gumball, all right? Unless it's 75 cents now. Is it 75 cents? Stupid inflation. All right, so, so like, but it has value. The thing is, though, for her, one coin was a full day's wage. So I don't know if you've ever worked eight hours. How, how much— like, to work eight hours is a lot, isn't it? So imagine, like, you worked all day long, and then you lost the money that you made that day. Would you be, like, trying to find it? I heard one, Uh uh-huh. All right, some of you are just, you're just rich. You're like, nah, no big deal. Like, no big, like, I would be looking for it, right? I'm like, I don't know what, 100, 200 bucks, whatever that is, like, I'm gonna go find that. And that's what she's like, I lost a full day. That would have been meals that are taking her groceries. I mean, she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. You're thinking, well, that's kind of extreme, like throwing a party. I I didn't live in her house. Like for her, that was a big deal. She lost the thing to take care of her that had value to her, she found it again. She's like, guys, I found it. Woo! Hallelujah. And then he says it again, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner, one sinner who repents. He's trying to get a point across, right? Then he goes on. I'm not going to read the whole last part because it's the longest parable, and I've preached on it before if you ever want to hear that. I actually call it the prodigal God, not the prodigal son story because prodigal means extravagant, and actually God is the one that was extravagant in this story. He was extravagant in his grace because that's who God is but it's a story of two sons, one that stayed with the father, one that wanted to run away and just live a crazy life. And so the youngest son demands, I want my inheritance now. It's as if, dad, I wish you were dead so I can get what's mine. And it says the father consented, and he gave both of them their inheritance. If you notice that in the story, he didn't just give the young one. Both the older and the younger got their inheritance at the same time. The older one, leave, or the younger one, leaves, goes out and parties, goes to Vegas, spends every dime on prostitutes, on partying, on gambling, on everything, and loses every single thing he has. The older son stays, works, lives on the farm, does what he thinks he's supposed to do. The younger one finally gets to the point where he's like, I can't even live this way because I have nothing now, and I'm, he gets to where he's working on a farm, feeding the pigs, and he's not allowed even to eat what the pigs are eating, and he longs for that, which for a Jew, that was humiliating. Right? That was against their, uh, their, right, their uh, religion to like, deal with pigs or pork or any of that kind of stuff. So he's wanting to eat what they're eating. He says, I tell you what, my servants that work for my dad are living better than I do. And so he makes a plan. I'm going to go home. I'm going to say, Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son. I, can I just work for you at least? Can I just be a servant? That's it. So he comes up with this plan to come back, and he starts coming back, and he has this thing. You know, God, you know, Father, uh, I'm sorry. I stand against you. I said against God. You know, just hire me. I just want to work for you. And before he even gets to tell his whole spiel, the father leaps out of the porch. He leaps off the property, and he runs for his son. And he doesn't even let him finish what he's saying. He says, "You're back." He puts a ring on his finger, which represents. The family, you're a part of this family. He puts the finest robe around him and puts sandals on his feet and brings him to the house and says, my son was lost and now he's found. We're throwing a party. Go get the calf, go get all this. And they throw a huge party for the son. But the brother who stayed the whole time did not come into the house because he was grumpy and angry. He said, well, I've been here the whole time. You never let me even kill a goat. He said, you've already had everything you've needed this whole time. But he was dead, and now he's alive. This is who God is. When you read these parables, you see who God is. God is a God who runs after the lost. He runs after. He, he, a party goes on in heaven whenever uh, somebody repents from their sins and comes to Christ. This is who God is. I want you to think about, for you, just think, think about the, the, the like, if you can remember a party that you went to that was, like, the most fun party you've ever been to, that didn't have alcohol in it, all right? Some of you, I know your stories, right? So, like, a party that you remember, all right? So, a party that, like, like it was like, boy, that was fun, that was a joy, everybody had a good time. Like, think about that party. Like, those are great moments, right? those are like moments you remember. Was it a birthday? Was it a wedding you went to? And it's like, we just love celebrating that couple. Or, or was, you know, what was that? Think about that in your head. That, that kind of celebration, that kind of party, that kind of great thing is a big deal. And I want you to know that what he's saying in all three of these is that when a, a sinner repents, there's a party in heaven, right? So fill in the blank. If you want to start a party in heaven, help the lost come to Christ, I don't see anywhere else in scriptures where it says that anything else is a party starter in heaven. This is it. It's when the lost get found. It's when those that were far from Christ come near to Christ. It's when those who are sinners and broken repent and accept accept the forgiveness because of Jesus on the cross, forgiveness for our sins, and enters into the kingdom of heaven. That is when the party happens in heaven. And I think we should be just as excited when that happens, as the heavens are, but sometimes I've been in churches where somebody comes to Christ, and it's a golf clap. I'm like, what? What? Okay, so help me out here. When somebody comes to know Christ, what do we do? We party. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. What do we do? We party. I still can't hear you. What happens when the heavens open up, the angels see somebody comes to know the Christ, they party. Where's my music? Oh no! It died? All right, we're having fun anyway. Three, two, one. All right, we party! There's supposed to be music, but there's not music. It didn't pop? Your hands are sweaty. There we go. <laughs> uh, so that's what happens right right we party okay so here's the here's the reality when you plan for some and it doesn't go the way you want to it's okay it, but here's the reality all right if you want to start a party in heaven help the lost come to christ that's it And if if the lost come to Christ, we as a church should be throwing party after party. We should be celebrating that somebody was entering in the gates of hell and they received the good news. They don't have to go there and they don't have to live as if they're already there while they're here on this earth, that they can find freedom and hope in the person of Jesus Christ because our God is the God of lost things and our God is the God of lost people and every single one of us in this room was lost. All of us in this room deserve hell. We deserve separation because we are all sinners. And God knew that, and he knew what was going on in this point of history that we read about. He said, I don't want them going there. I'm making the way, and his name is Jesus. And he came, and he preached the message. The kingdom of heaven is here. And if you repent, you turn from sin, and you walk into forgiveness of sins, you get heaven. You get the presence of God for eternity, and you get forgiven of sins. I need you to know you must be forgiven of your sins to have a relationship with God. Sin and God is the separation. We don't want to be like the Pharisees who thought they had God, but all they had was the world, right? Actually, let's keep reading, okay? Let's keep reading. Let's go to back a chapter. Let's go to chapter 14. Okay, so, so flip your page back to 14, because Jesus in the same theme, um, the same theme and the same idea, he's dealing with the Pharisees again, and they're like thinking, we know what's happening, we have the plan, we have God, and all of you don't, sorry about you, and, and he's like, you still don't understand, you still don't understand what's going on. You don't understand what's going on in the kingdom of heaven. You don't understand me, Jesus, why I'm even here and what I'm doing. They did not get it. Actually, they didn't get to the point that they hated him so much they wanted to murder him all the time. It's like, they're like, what he's doing to help sinners is wrong, but murder, it's okay. I'll just be honest. Okay, I'll stop. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> Luke 14. So... um, so he, he shares this other parable because they're not understanding the kingdom of heaven. When one of those at the table, he, so he's sitting with the Pharisees, he's sitting at a meal with the Jewish leaders, and one of those leaders at the table, um, uh, he said to Jesus, "'Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God.'" So they understood that there was going to be a feast in heaven, and that they were waiting for that as Jews, they were waiting for that final feast to be with God forever, but they still didn't fully get it they didn't understand the picture so jesus replied and he shares another parable he says a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests at the time of the banquet he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited come for everything is now ready see when they would throw a banquet it would take a long time to prepare for this banquet there'd be guest lists. They'd invite the people and say, we're doing it on this day. Um, we're gonna, my servants are going to go out when it's ready. So when it's ready, they're going to come to your home and then say, okay, it's ready. And you start coming to the party. That's what would happen. And so he said, we have a guest list. I had a guest list, and I'm inviting everybody. The servant's saying, and go get them now. The, it, we're ready for them. Go get all who that have been invited. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. You're going to see a pattern here. Remember the sermon that Sam preached a few weeks ago about the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus, and each time there were three people who made an excuse? Same thing. He's like, I'm sorry, I can't come. Um, I bought a field, I'm busy, I got other things going on, can't come to the banquet, sorry. Sorry. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out, so please excuse me. It's like, wait a minute, you bought the oxen, you didn't even try them out first? That's not even smart, first of all. And, and B, like, you can do that tomorrow, right? So these are just excuses. They're like, I, I can't, I'm sorry, I, I know I was invited, but I just, I just can't make it. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. It's like, you just like today. You just got married, like this morning. Okay, I, I get that, but still, you were invited a long time ago. You can come. They all made excuses. See, this illustration here that he's bringing is about the inviting people to the banquet table in heaven, and they're all making excuses. No, I can't make it. No, I don't want to be there. No, da da da. I got this going on. Or, and we do this with our religion too. No, I don't believe that because, no, I don't think I need Jesus because, no, no. You can excuse yourself from God's table and find yourself in hell. That's what he's trying to get his point across to these Pharisees. They think they're invited to the table. They think they've done all the good things. They lived the good religion. They obeyed all the laws. So they deserve a spot at the table. But what Jesus is telling them is that, no, actually, all of you are making excuses for not joining the actual kingdom of heaven. You've created your own kingdom. It's called the temple. it's got a religion. That's yours. The kingdom of heaven doesn't operate that way. And the reality is that for all of us in this room, we all have free will. We all have choices to make when it comes to God and Jesus. Like, he doesn't make robots, and that's what he's telling them. He's like, I invited people, <clears throat> but they came up with all sorts of excuses <clears throat> Excuse me, to not show up to the banquet. And the excuses were weak, excuses. Some of us make weak excuses so that we can put off dealing with the reality of our sin. So we can kind of put off the reality of us not knowing who God is. So we can put off, like, we make ridiculous excuses. Honestly, like today, we live in the most entitled country ever. We all have our own entitlement, right? Like, self-entitlement is the God of today. Like, and, and part, like... Okay, how far do I go? Do, do, do. This is where I take a moment and watch my words. No, I'm not going to watch my words. Because here's, here's my words. What we end up doing, what we end up doing is we excuse ourselves from the things that matter. Sometimes the things that matter make us uncomfortable, Right? And some of us hate discomfort so much that we'll do whatever it takes or make whatever excuse we need to not put ourselves in that discomfort, even if that discomfort's gonna be the thing that's gonna grow us or push us closer to God. We, li- we live in a moment of excuses. And I'm telling you, you can excuse your way right to hell when it comes to our relationship with God. You can make all sorts of excuses. That's what they were doing, they were excusing themselves from heaven because they thought they knew what was right. They thought they knew what they were supposed to do. Sometimes religion makes people ridiculous. Any amens there? I've met ridiculous religious people who care more about their religion or more about um, okay, this is where I'm trying to be very careful but maybe I want to offend some people in love. I've seen religious people be some of the biggest jerks I've ever met. And they actually push people away from heaven because of their attitudes of self-righteousness or their arguments and disunity in churches because they're disagreeing about doctrinal things that are secondary issues that aren't the main thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've seen the enemy work in people who are very religious Who point at people instead of pointing at themselves? Who read at people instead of how does that change me? If you're living to change other people, you're gonna live a miserable life because the reality is you can change no one. I can't change any of you. It's all your choice. And when the religious live as if you're not living up to my rules or what I believe and they start pointing at you, I'm telling you, they're out of line. So you have to watch yourself. You have to be careful with who you allow spiritually over you and in your life. Because the moment they start doing that and trying to control and trying to make you feel guilty all the time and trying to make you go, no, you got to do this, you got to do this. If you don't, da-da-da-da-da, da, 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 da thats a guilt-driven, um, earning, um, earning-based salvation based on works and not grace. And you're going to miss out on the gospel. Religious people can get so ridiculous. They did in Jesus' time. They still do today. They still do today. And so you have to watch yourself. If that's you, if you find yourself in the tendency to be like, oh, no, nope, you got to keep the rules. you got to keep the rules. you got to keep the rules. Nope, they're out of line. Da-da-da-da. If you find yourself doing that, I'm just going gonna, gonna to gently warn you that you might be acting like a Pharisee, And if there is something that you feel very convicted about, but you're a part of something that doesn't line up with that conviction, you might find a new place to belong. And that's okay. Whether that's a church, a different church, whatever. But this is what I don't want. I don't want anybody to excuse yourself away from God that you miss out on the banquet table of heaven. That you let lesser things become the biggest thing when the greatest thing is God's grace and love and forgiveness of sins. I tell you, when you get to heaven, there's no book test. There's not, it's a blood test. And that blood test isn't your blood, it's do you have Jesus' blood on you? That's more important. Don't be distracted by lesser things fall in love with the man who died on the cross for you, whose blood covers you and forgives you and gives you freedom from sin and forgives you for now and for eternity and snatches you from hell so you can live a little bit of heaven now but a lot of bit of heaven forever, right? This is what he's talking about. If we keep reading, let's keep reading, all right? It's just really quiet in here. All right, let's keep reading. Verse 21 so, so he sends his servants out and all of the people make excuses, right? And all the people are making excuses. Now the servants are coming back and being like, Master, like this is what's going on. The servants came back and reported this to the master. He said, then the owner of the house became what? Became, I can't hear you. The house became angry. The owner of the house represents God in this parable. So God invited the Jews and they were his chosen people. He wanted them to come to him. And they said, No, I can't because of this and because of that, because no, it kind of goes against my religion here. Like, he makes all these excuses. And so God is angry. He's like, Why? Why are you turning from me? And so he ordered his servants to do what? Go out quickly. Go where? Into the streets and the alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. It's like, Go get them all. There's lots of seats at my banquet. There's lots of room at the table. I need to fill this table. Go get all those who are hurting, who are poor, who are lost, who are sinners, who are broken. Go get the prostitutes. Go get the tax collectors. Go get the sin. Bring them into my house is what he says. And then all of a sudden, sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there's still more room. There's more room. So then he says, okay, we're not done yet. Then the master told his servant, go out then to the roads and to the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be what? full. God loves a full house. He loves it when his house is full. And do you know what's amazing? He loves it when it's full with the crippled, the broken, the poor, the sinners, the lost, because that is who he came for. Do you hear the heart of God? See, this is who God is. When you read chapter 14 and 15, he's pushing against the religious because he said they are rejecting the gospel. And he says, now invite all the people who aren't a part of the religion and go get them. Earlier on, Jesus made the statement, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's like, that's what he's still saying. My table is still got room. And today, if you don't know Christ, there's still room at the table for you. Today, if you are a messed up, broken, crazy person, there's still room at the table for you. If last night you did something stupid and you know it, there's still room at the table for you. If you messed up this morning on your way here, there's still room at the table for you. This is what I need you to hear. Every sinner, everywhere, there's room at the table for you. Oh. That sounded like a golf clap. Amen. There's still room at the table for you. Amen. We're getting better. <laughs> if you are a sinner and you have found Jesus, you have a seat at the table. Amen. 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 Like that is what Jesus came for. That is who he came for. I need you to just hear this. You can fill in the blank. Um, Oh, last one. I tell you, this is where he just kind of punches him in the gut. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get to taste the banquet. (laughs) Oh! Right? That's just like a right hook to the jaw that he's talking to the religious. I invited you. You didn't come see yourself out. Actually, you don't need to see yourself out. You're never in. You didn't show up. You're invited, but you excuse yourself away. He's saying, so I got everybody else. Because they wanted to come. They needed to come. They want a forgiveness of sins. This is who God is. God is always inviting the wanderers, the runners, and the lost to his table. The question for Christians in this room, are you? Because God is... The new testament, the new covenant that was created, whenever he said the old is gone, the new has come, the old covenant finished, completed, done. The new covenant, the new way of a relationship with God has come. This new testament we see that we're in and the the new covenant that we live in today isn't by rules and laws and sacrifices. It's done through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is finished. He says, because it is finished. Now I'm going out and we all need to go out and be inviting the wanderers, the runners, and the lost because that is who God is longing for. That's who he is inviting to the table. The question is, as Christians, are we so daggum comfortable in our seats on Sundays that we don't care that everyone else around us is probably going to hell? Do you give a damn? Because they are damned. And I, I'm, I'm so... <laughs> I'm so fired up about this. I think, okay. I think COVID did two things. One, I think it scared off the consumeristic Christian because they haven't come back. They were at the banquet table, then COVID happened and they left and they haven't showed back up. Most likely because they were here to get something. The call of discipleship isn't a call to consumerism Christianity. It's not a call, what can I get from him? What can I get from Jesus? What can I get from heaven? How does this affect my life? If your prayers are about you, you're living a small life. If your prayers don't overturn hell and bring somebody to heaven, you're living a small life. You're just living for this world still, but you're just asking God to bless you in it. That's not the call to discipleship. God calls us to be surrendered to him. That means our whole life, everything we have inside of us is surrendered to God. God, I'm here. My hands are open to you. I want to be used by you. I want you to have everything I have, all my gifts, my abilities, my talents, everything everything I own. God, I surrender it to you because you've surrendered everything from heaven through your son for me. It's not a big deal then for me to surrender my life to you. And then to be changed by the Holy Spirit, right? That's the Holy Spirit working inside of us, taking the old, ugly parts, the sinful parts out and replacing it with looks more like Jesus, right? And the more we look like Jesus, the more we look like this. The more we want people to experience Jesus because he's changing us. We don't want them to join religion. Oh, come to my Bible study because we learned about Luke chapter 14 and it's a really good book of the Bible. They don't need that. They need Jesus, You guys hear me? I was thirsty a while ago. Okay. We are called as Christians to be the servants. We are the ones that he said the harvest is plentiful. We are the workers that are called to go, to be sent. We're the ones that need to be praying for, loving, Meaning, we do it in love. We don't do it in, in, in um, condemnation. We love people into the kingdom of heaven. When they see you, they see love. They don't see condemnation. You better turn around. You're going to hell, I'm telling you. That's not what I'm saying. Tell them. All you tell them is listen, I know this guy, his name's Jesus, and he's doing stuff in me. That's your testimony. What is he doing in your life? Whether it's big or whether it's small, like, what is he doing in your life? Share that. Pray for them. Love on them. When you see God provide an opportunity for you to serve them, what would Jesus do? Serve them. Right? You represent heaven when you do these things and you look like Christ inviting the wanderers, the runners, and the lost to God's table. Now, I remember when I was, uh, when I was young and dating, um, it was a long time ago, and I, I just, I'm grateful it was a long time ago, um, when, when I started dating Nikki, something happens when you start dating somebody. Um, I don't know if this has ever happened with you. All of a sudden, you start liking things that you didn't know that you liked before. You with me? Like, all of a sudden, I'm watching shows I never watched before, and I'm like, okay, all right. Because she likes it, I'm going to like it, right? You, you, when you spend time with somebody, you start to love somebody, you start to love the things that they love, Right? I think about it, even in parenting, um, I don't know how many Saturdays I've sat on the side of a soccer field when it's like 45 degrees and the rain's coming down sideways. Oh, dear Jesus. I don't do that because I signed up for that, right? It's like, well, I can't wait to sit outside and, you know, with an umbrella that blows and flips upside down with wind hitting me and rain in the face. Can't wait, right? Like We don't do that because we love the weather and we love sitting on the side of a field. We do it because we love our kids, because our kid loves that we're going to love that and we're going to do what it takes to show them that we love you and we love what you're doing right that's what we do when we love I'm telling you this the closer you get to God and the more you fall in love with him the more you love the things he loves if you don't love the things he loves I'm assuming that you don't love the God who loves the things because when you get to love somebody you love what they love I think this is my last fill in the blank. The more time you spend with God, the more you love the things that matter to God. And what I'm trying to get into our hearts, our minds, our souls is that God loves lost people, and we should too. And not just love them like yeah, I love them like love them by showing that you love them. Love is not a uh, just a, a feeling. It's not just like a good idea. It's not like a thing you put on a poster. Like love is action. It's a verb. If you don't do something with love, it's not really love, right? God so loved the world that what He gave His one and only Son, love led to God's action. And it's for God so loved. God is for us. His love is for us, is your love for the lost. You don't have to save them. That's the great thing. You don't have to hang on a cross for their sins. You just have to point them to the one that did. Let God do his part, but you also, as a Christ follower in the room, you have to do your part. Imagine this. There's a town that was on a mountain, and this mountain was was really high up, and, and a lot of times it'd be covered by a cloud, and in this small town, it'd be like either foggy or cloudy. There was only one way out of the town. They didn't have any stores in the town, so they have to go across this big bridge across the valley to get over to the next bigger town to go grocery shopping, to, to get gas, to get the things they needed, and then they come back, this giant long bridge across the valley to get back into their small town so they could have what they needed. Now, imagine there was a guy who on this one of these really foggy days was driving and heading towards the big town and he notices the night before a big storm came, rain came and that bridge that crossed that chasm was gone. And he knew that if anybody drove on that road and couldn't see because of the fog all around them, they would literally drive off the cliff and die. So imagine that guy decides, "You know what? Other people will see it. It's no big deal. And he just went back home. Is that a good guy? No. If that were you, what would you do? I would do whatever it took to make sure everybody knew the bridge is out. I would be putting up a giant sign and a barricade on that road to say watch out the bridge is out. i would go into the town and say everybody you just need to know the bridge is out. Don't go driving across. You're not going to be able to make it. You'll crash and I would be going door to door and making sure the whole community knew, hey, don't go across. The bridge is out so that everybody who went up to that bridge would not die, right? I'd be warning them. I'd be telling them. It's the same thing. Christians, we know the bridge is out. We know that the people that don't take the way of the cross, where they're going to end up? Separated for God from e- for eternity and in hell. Like hell's a real place and we pretend it's not. And like even modern American Christianity tries to erase the whole idea of hell and it's like, no, everybody gets there and it's not true. There's only one bridge across the chasm of our sin and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. And I would, I would urge you, brothers and sisters, would you tell those around you, you know what the bridge is. You know the way to God. You know how to experience forgiveness of sins, that you know that they can have hope, forgiveness of sins, and in eternity with God. Or will you not let them know? I want to be careful with this, but I. when I see my Savior face-to-face at the end of my life, and I don't know what that is. That could be tomorrow. It could be 40 years from now. But whenever that day comes, I want to look at him face-to-face and say, I did everything I knew to do. And then I will not make any excuse to say, well, I was too busy to tell that person about Jesus. Well, I was too busy to love them Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't know how to do it. I want to get there and say, and hear him say, good job, well done, good and faithful servant. You did everything I asked you to do. That didn't get you here, but do you know what? For everything we do here, it says we receive crowns. Meaning there is blessings in eternity for what happens here on this earth. It does have consequence, even for the Christ follower. Now, the reality is all of our crowns are going to go in one place. All of our crowns are going to end up at the feet of Jesus. But I want to go and lay down as many as I can. God, this morning, as we wrestle with this, as, as Jesus, as you taught the Pharisees, and we're trying to help them have a clue that they were getting in the way of, of people coming to heaven as they were getting in the way because of their own religion, of their own walk with you, as they were getting in the way of themselves, you were trying to tell them, listen, God is for the lost, the sinner, the broken. And I thank you so much, Heavenly Father, that you were for us, that you were for me so much that you sent your one and only Son to die on the cross, to pay for my sins so I can be forgiven to pay the penalty of my sin on the cross and my sin stays with you. It's covered and you give me your righteousness. You make me right before you and all that is yours becomes mine. I'm a son or daughter that we get to become sons or daughters in the kingdom of heaven. Thank you so much for that, God. Help that motivate us to not be selfish but to be selfless and serve those around us in love. <clears throat> today, let's take a moment. If you don't know Jesus, you just heard what happens. You heard the gospel. You heard what Jesus did for you. The question for you today is, do you want it? We read through Romans, if you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. If you believe that, meaning it's, this isn't a magic prayer that, ooh, I, I did it and I meant. No, you've got to, from your heart, know it. Trusting that Jesus is the only one who can forgive you of your sins now and forever, says then you will be saved. If that's you today, right now, I'm not going to leave a moment. You pray to God right now and you say that you say, God, I believe that you sent your Son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins, and I'm grateful that you made a way for me. Please forgive me of my sins now and forever. I want to be yours. I want to enter into heaven. I want your blood to cover me so that I can be forgiven for my sins. I want your Holy Spirit inside of me. I want to grow and learn. I want hope, a hope I don't have in this world. I want you to fill me with a hope of eternity. I want to be yours now and forever. So I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my Savior, and I want to be yours in Jesus' name alone that I ask this, and I pray. Amen. Amen. And God, for the rest of us, oh, wake us up. The world is broken, and there's only one fix, and His name is Jesus. We can try all sorts of things, but it's not going to work. Politics isn't going to work. The right person in office isn't going to work. The right The right job isn't going to work. The right income's not going to work. The right thing that we buy isn't going to work. The right relationship's not going to work. Nothing else will work to fix or save us except for Jesus Christ. So help us every day to start our day at the feet of Jesus so we can humbly walk with you. Please protect us from becoming religiously ridiculous. Help us be radically loving. It's in Christ's name I pray. If everybody agrees, you say amen.